We're very familiar here with a building site having been beside two building sites over the past months. We should know what a building site is like. They tend to be untidy and dusty with blocks and half blocks and bits strewn all over the place. Although in saying that, I must confess that the building sites that we have had nearby us have been kept relatively tidy and our own builder uh, seems to have been doing a reasonably good job. As, uh, in just, it's not been like some that I have seen where you wouldn't know where to put your feet. If we've watched the builders laying the blocks, you will know that they simply pick up the next block and use that. They don't look through the blocks. They're not looking at them and picking out this one or the other one and casting some aside. No, they simply uh, take the next block. Sometimes they'll take a block, cut it in half to fit for the end of the, the row or whatever. That is how they do their work. But in Jesus' day, it was a very different process. The builder could come and look at stones and he would be picking out the particular stones that were cut out of the quarry and he would use them according to what he needed. Particularly, they were looking, uh, if it was the cornerstone, for a, a stone that was the right shape, had the qualities that were the lines and the angles that would be necessary because that stone was the key to the whole building. That stone had to be right and, if you like, perfect for its job. Or the same if we think of the capstone, if you think of the cornerstone being the foundation corner and the capstone, the locking stone at the top, both had to be right. Jesus refers to himself as a stone and it's that thought of the stones, the different kinds of stones that Jesus speaks about and was likened to that we're going to think about over communion season. And this evening we want to begin by way of preparation thinking of how Jesus is described as the rejected stone. The stone the builders rejected. And it is a challenge for us to consider the rejected stone uh, as we come to think of Jesus. Remember, uh, as he comes, he's speaking here to his fellow Jews. He came to the churchmen of his day, to those who were foremost, and it is they that he speaks to. He came in fulfillment of prophecies, and one might have thought that he might have been accepted by his people. So as we think about this rejected stone, I want first of all to focus on who it is that rejected him. Who is it that has rejected Jesus? When we turn to this passage that we have just read in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has told the parable of the tenants. He has told about how these people uh, came and were given the vineyard. But when the the, uh, representative of the landowner came to collect his rent, they chased him until the landowner eventually sent his own son. And the son was killed because those tenants thought the inheritance will be ours. The landowner 
is nowhere to be seen. He only sends others. And of course, out of, they did not respect the Son as the landowner thought they would. And whenever Jesus comes into this situation and speaks, it is clear as he quotes from Psalm 118, as he challenges these people, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And so, who is it that has rejected Jesus? Well, it is the people who were of Israel. It was the chief priests and the Pharisees. It was the church people of the day. It was the people who had authority and position and who were looked up to as the religious people who ought to have been uh, furthering the things of God and keeping the worship of God in focus. These are the people that Jesus is confronting at this point. And then, when we read here, we read in verse uh, 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. It was them that they, he, they knew that the Jesus had, if you like, poked them. And they knew that he was getting at them. So here are people who we knew were the very ones who were being criticized by Jesus. The very people who ought to have been listening to the word. The very people who ought to have been looking out for the Messiah. The very people who had read the prophecies. Who knew Isaiah 53. And who ought to have been thinking, do we see anything like this in our day? But no, they reject the Lord. He is the rejected stone. Because the Pharisees are continuing to look for something that fits what they think and their way of looking at things. And in fact, they go on to reject him even further because as we read at the end of that chapter, in verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd. It's not tragic. They were doing everything to reject the Lord. The ordinary people held Jesus as some kind of a prophet. They didn't know how to, to deal with it, but here was someone different, someone special. These religious leaders who rejected him ought to have said, yes, he is the prophet foretold in the Old Testament. So they were the first to reject Jesus in his own day. But they have been followed in like fashion by people of every age throughout the church over the years. Yes, like Jesus being rejected by the Pharisees, there has always been those who are part of the visible church of Christ who have rejected him. Now we expect and we understand that there is a wicked world who rejects Jesus Christ and his lordship. There have, ever since he came, always been those who would have had no time for Jesus. They're outside the church. 
They were never part of Israel. They don't, they despise him. When we speak to him of them, they don't think there's any impact upon their lives. We can understand their rejection because they know no better. But those in the church who read the scriptures, who have heard the word of God, who look back over the history of the church and see the imprint of God's dealings with people. Yet, there have been those over the years who have rejected the testimony that is so clear to those of us who come to faith. They rejected him. We can think of the godless and how they reject Jesus. But is it not even more tragic whenever in our age there are those within the church who reject him? And there would be many examples. The one that just sprang to my mind was in the mid-80s, the Bishop of Durham, David Jenkins, a man in a position of power as a bishop, a man who had influence in the church and influenced many before he even became a bishop as a lecturer. And what did he say? Well, he questioned the virgin birth and he questioned the validity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Isn't it tragic? There's a man rejecting Jesus. Rejecting the very truth concerning the one Savior through whom he might have had life. Even though he had read the Scripture and studied the Word and knew of the the testimony concerning the resurrection, he rejected the Lord. And perhaps just as in the days of Christ himself and in the days following his death and resurrection, people rejected Jesus. And that, it should be, it's no surprise to us that there are still many who reject him. But it's tragic. It's within the church. They reject Jesus. But what about you? What about you? You are professing to be in the church. Could it be that you have truly not yet fully committed to him? Does your behavior, does your day-to-day living, does your family life, does your adherence to worship show a complete submission to Jesus Christ? Or could it be that there are areas of your life, yes, you have a faith in Jesus, but there are still areas where you reject Him, where He demands more of your time and commitment, where He says to you, you are acting with wrong priorities, but you reject Him. Friends, it is a challenge even to those of us who call upon Him, the Lord as our Savior. Could it be that we, because we are in the church, that even in aspects of our living, we have not given the Lord His true place. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, it is an opportunity for you and for me to examine our lives. Lord, am I rejecting part of my living? Is there any part of me which I have not submitted to you? Any part of my 
my time, my work, whatever it may be. Who was it rejected him? Well, the focus isn't on the world. It is on those who ought to have known, those who were taught, those who knew the truth. We give thanks. We can profess our faith in Jesus, but this word stands as a challenge to us that we would be truly committed and that we would not reject him in any quarter or any part of our lives. Who was it rejected? Jesus. But then second, to ask the question, why did they reject Jesus? We might say, surely, uh, that, that I mean, it was clear to them. But why did they reject Jesus? Why is he called himself the stone the builders rejected? For us to understand the reasons why Jesus was rejected by the Pharisees and teachers of the day, we need help. Because we are so familiar with God's grace. We have been called to faith. We have made our profession. We have understood and know that Jesus is the Messiah. We have the great benefit of his life and the Bible's, uh, the gospel account of the account of his death and his resurrection and the 2,000 years of history since that day. So we find it maybe difficult to fully appreciate why those Pharisees rejected him. So we need to begin to try and put ourselves back into their shoes. When, when Jesus came, there was, no fut- there was nothing to, to think about, about resurrection or anything, except the Old Testament and what it taught. And who was Jesus? There you are, a teacher, a Pharisee. And you have worked out a, your, the plan of salvation as long as people are righteous and do as much good as they can, certainly enough to outbalance all their wrongdoing, then they will be all right in the sight of God. You as a law teacher have taken hold of the traditions, many of them rooted in the, God, the scriptures of the Old Testament. And you have built many other traditions around those, so much so that the, the traditions of man have almost smothered the traditions of the scriptures. But you believe in all of those things to be true. Those religious leaders, you see, were in that situation. And now what is happening? This man, who is he? Well, he's a nobody. He was born in in a way backward uh, place. A place that wouldn't even make it onto the maps of the day. If you had been in Google Maps, Bethlehem would have hardly... uh, valued a dot, neither would Nazareth. And what's more, he wasn't born in a palace, but he was born or brought into a palace. He was brought up where? In a humble carpenter shop. With a, in a place that was totally, in a, in a way, nondescript. Here, what would you do with such a person? 
What right had this person to begin to teach you? You had been to school and you had graduated with A-levels. You have done your master's in theology. You are teaching the law. You know what all the rabbis have taught. Who is this person who has never gone to any of those things to teach you? Do you begin to see part of the reason why they rejected him? He was completely outside their way of thinking. To go back to the picture of the builder looking for the cornerstone, that builder the stone that would fit the building, the lines of the stone, the, the smoothness of the stone, its depth and height, all of those things were vitally important. And the builder needed the right stone for that position. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, as they're building up the faith of Israel, Jesus just didn't cut it. He had nothing to offer. There was nothing about him, as we read in Isaiah, nothing to attract them. No comeliness. In fact, we could put it like this. He did not fit at all into the shape that the Pharisees and the teachers of the day wanted. He just did So he was rejected. And having rejected him and thinking along the lines of their own preconceived ideas and traditions, no matter what Jesus did, they were absolutely blind. And perhaps that's the bottom line. They were blind to Jesus. To them, he was ignoring their traditions. The interpretations that they had of the law, Jesus challenged. He challenged some of the things that they held dear and they could not believe it. To put it bluntly, they were absolutely blind to the truth as to who he was, so they rejected him. They ought to have listened to him. Yes, we know that. But in their situation, he did not fit. He's been continually rejected for similar reasons over all the ages. When people reject Jesus, knowing some of the truth, it is because he doesn't fit their agenda. He didn't fit the agenda of David Jenkins, the bishop. Because he wanted to appeal to people. He was swept along by the people and what they were thinking rather than giving the people the truth of God which they needed to hear. Of course, the reality is that Satan was at work blinding their eyes and keeping them blind. Could it be that you are rejecting Jesus because he doesn't quite fit with your agenda? Not in every area of life, but in those little things. You don't want him to challenge your timekeeping or the program you have for your week. You reject his call upon you because, well, it would upset your comforts, your particular way of thinking. Jesus just doesn't fit in. I wonder is that what anyone here is thinking. I hope, I pray it's not. 
But we need to face the reality that all of us are sinful. And at times where lives get out of kilter, and there may be things where we have not allowed Jesus to shape us, rather we have rejected him because he's not the right shape for us. That's what society is doing all the time. They're rejecting Christ and his rule and law because it doesn't suit the shape of things that they want. So friends, what a challenge. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, pray that you will have the Lord Jesus to fit. That he will be the one whom you allow to change you so that he is Lord, and that you will walk with him. It may well be that there are some aspects of my life, of your life, that need to be changed. Pray for the help of God to change them. Maybe small things. Let me make it clear, I'm not saying that all of you here are living desperately and are, are People, not at all. But there's a challenge to all of us, no matter how faithful we are to God, to keep on making sure that in no area of life we are rejecting the cry of Jesus to us to serve and honour Him. Lastly, let me just look at the consequence of rejecting Him And this particular consequence, I suppose, applies particularly to those who reject him outright. And we know what the consequences are. But if we reject him, even in some part, it will have consequences. Maybe not as terrible as those who reject him outright, but it will lead to a lack of spiritual light. delight. What are the consequences of rejecting the Lord? When Jesus puts it to the Pharisees, to those who are listening to his parable, what will be done with these tenants who treat the son with such rejection? The vineyard owner, uh, well, what do they say? Here's what they say. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. There's the consequence of rejecting the the son. You will come to a wretched end. And as God's people, we need to keep that clear. We are saved from a wretched end when we embrace Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to speak to them. Uh, In this way, in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, he says, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people you who will produce its fruit. In other words, Jesus, having quoted Psalm 118, says, is saying to them, You have rejected the chief cornerstone. You are the ones... And you're going to lose every hope you have of the kingdom. You think you're in the kingdom. You're actually outside the kingdom. And you are rejecting the very hope that you have. Friends, that's the reality for those who are not in Christ. They are wretched. They have no interest in the kingdom. 
and they can't pretend that they're going to be any part of it if they reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And we need to keep clear in our hearts that that's the gospel. And we need to weep for the wicked who have rejected Jesus and cry, Lord, have mercy upon them. For he has had mercy upon us. Because if we are in Christ, what is he saying? He will give it to people who will produce fruit. The fruit of faithfulness and righteousness. And my prayer is that that will be you this evening. That you will take on board the challenges of the rejected stone. But that you will delight that you are welcomed by Jesus. And that by his strength you are producing the fruit unto righteousness for the glory of God. We need to say to those who are rejecting Jesus, do not be fooled. You think like the kings in Psalm 2 that there is no Lord in glory. He will have the last say. People who minister the gospel, so-called ministers of the truth, who reject the very truth concerning Jesus' birth and resurrection, have actually no part in the kingdom. They may go along in this world thinking that in eternity all will be well. But there will be a day of separation of the goats from the sheep. What a terrible end for them. And as those of us who have been open to know Jesus Christ as Lord, we ought to pray earnestly and witness faithfully to them for the glory of God. So there is a warning tonight about the rejected stone. Who was it rejected? It was people in the church. That causes us to search our hearts. Why did they reject him? Because they didn't shape the way they wanted him to shape for their particular agenda of life. And what's the consequence? They're outside the kingdom. The Lord's day coming, God willing, we will look at the more positive side and the joy of knowing Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And what a delight it is to be assured that with all our faults and we must confess them, we have a Saviour who shed his blood that whosoever believes in him will have the kingdom, eternal life. So I pray that we will be able to prepare to come around the Lord's table with the deep joy of knowing this is my Savior who died for me. Amen.